0: This is The Balancing Act by Security Compass, your guide to going fast while staying safe in today's digital world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of The Balancing Act. Our guest speaker today is Nick. Nick, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, Altaz, uh, great to be with you. Thank you so much.
0: Great. Uh, So, Nick, can you tell our audience a little bit about your background and how you ended up in your current role?
1: Yeah, certainly. After having spent a bit of time in the military, I found myself uh, looking for a new career path. And that took me uh, into a telco space. And I got my start in, in cybersecurity as a security analyst, basically helping teams understand security standards, best practices, uh, and essentially how to deliver projects that were considered uh, secure. And, and that set me on a new path uh, in, the, in the cybersecurity space and, and, and after a few years of doing that, I was able to pivot into product. So I describe myself now as, you know, a product guy with, with, with some deep roots in, uh, in cybersecurity.
0: Mm, fabulous. Uh, and I know that you've got a strong background um, around data governance, which is what I'd like to do a deeper dive on today. And uh, Maybe, in fact, why don't we just kind of kick it off there? Some people listening to this may be new to this idea of data governance. Can you help us to understand uh, data governance uh, in so far as what's the business purpose of data governance?
1: Yeah, I'll certainly do my best. This, this is a fascinating area and it, it's moving quickly. And, and it's so interesting because there's a lot of different, there's different providers doing things around data, but when you, you can outsource capabilities when it comes to managing data, but you can't really outsource governance. So I'll start there. I'll start by kind of parsing data from governance and really what is governance? It's kind of those authorities to make decisions and sort of do things from the business side. Where are we going as a business? What's our what's our direction strategically? Mm-hmm. We want to look at different the projects that fall out of that as far as delivering services and the policies, plans, programs, et cetera. And then lastly, you want to be able to report on how you're doing and measuring if you're actually meeting and setting meeting what you set out to meet and making continuous improvements. And that's governance. Generally, that's not about data governance and it can be uh, ascribed to just about anything where data comes in is now you have this asset that is highly dynamic. It's being generated, created uh, it's being purged on a continuous basis. So you've got to take these kind of processes and make them keep up with what is, you know, something moving at a highly frenetic pace. So data governance, I think, is about adapting those practices that kind of oversight those authorities to leveraging everything uh, to do with with uh, the data that's being generated by the business.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you touched on, uh, on some key areas um, around capabilities and how these capabilities are ultimately driven by. Uh, what is important to the business, and then looking at how do we measure the effectiveness of that governance program against what 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 we're, what we're essentially trying to deliver? Um, and I guess as yes. as a, a follow up, this now kind of begs the question: Well, okay, this is this is it's a great concept. We need to govern, put some guardrails around data, but who? is responsible for creating and managing a data governance program within an organization. Is there someone typically responsible? Is it a shared responsibility? Any thoughts?
1: Yeah, yeah, the responsibility. And again, the authorities where they're vested, it it has changed a lot over the years. And it's it's extremely important to get this right from the get-go. I think that, you know, previously you would have seen IT grip this and be held responsible Mm -hmm. and say, because it's your systems in which the data is kind of being generated and stored, et cetera, we're we're going to put this on it to, to govern for us. And then over time as kind of the greater value was being realized out of those data assets, data holdings, the business got really interested. And now it's kind of on the business to say, okay, I'm, I'm just as interested now in understanding how we're governing this data. So we can take, again, leverage it to the maximum extent possible without it, Sort of posing posing a risk to the uh, to the business. So I think you're seeing that. I think it's still very much shared in the typical organization between your leaders in IT and and leaders on the business side.
0: Mm-hmm. And in a sense, now uh, data governance becomes that enabler. And I think when we look at the the different um, approaches to data governance, I think we have to align this in some way to how is this going to help move the business forward? And at the same time, help to to manage this from a a risk perspective. And and perhaps what what we could do in this talk is let's dive into uh, say three specific use cases here that I'd like to talk about. We're gonna talk about DevSecOps, we'll talk about threat modeling, and we'll talk about zero trust. All three of these are top of mind issues. And I think data governance has a role to play in this. So why don't we kind of start with this whole DevSecOps environment? There are rapidly moving pipelines. We've got developers asking for data in production and some say that developers can have access to data production, sorry, uh, data in production. Others are not permitted to do that. And, And so there's clearly some governance that's required in these DevSecOps environments. Can you talk a little bit about how does data governance support DevSecOps environments?
1: Yeah, it's it's hugely important. We're, we're asking so much of our development teams nowadays, and we sort of say, hey, shift everything left and, and you'll just have all these amazing outcomes. And of course, it's, it's, it's not organic. It has to be highly deliberate. And that includes how data fits into that, how data both enables that kind of mindset, that approach to continuous integration, continuous delivery, and and being very, very familiar with with your application, your service, right, at runtime. And familiarity comes from observability and building services that are highly introspective. So what does that really mean? It means they kind of give off a lot of data, right? They give off what, what you might call metrics, traces, and logs from a classic observability standpoint. But that, that's still data, and that's very valuable. And you want to have the, the right kind of governance wrapped around everything to do with those services so they can support the processes that are required to really be, you know, truly DevSecOps anchored in terms of uh, supporting supporting all the infrastructure, supporting the middleware, supporting the application, however, whatever it is, right? So absolutely, developers are being being asked to um, basically Build products that are capable of being uh, better understood than previously they, they have been, and and that comes from that comes with the whole bill of who is going to look after that data that's then generated.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see as we think about um, the whole um, trajectory around bill of materials and, and things like that, uh, where at one level, it's against the asset. And at another layer, it's against the the components of the asset itself. um, And what went into building that, right? And and, I mean, there's no no clear answer for some of these questions as of yet. uh, But it'll be interesting to see how we can inject data governance into the DevOps pipelines, so that as we go through it, um, if we need to govern it, for example, from a privacy standpoint, uh, clearly we're not going to be able to extract information from production in its raw format into a development environment. Um, and yet at the same time, if we go in and we have to scrub the data and pull it in, then we've got problems with latency. How long is it going to take for us to prepare the data so that it can be adjusted into um, the, these sort of fast-moving pipelines? Um, And and these are some of the challenges that now emerge. And it's not just, I mean, I just gave one example of of, um, privacy, but there are many other examples that begin to emerge now as a result of this. It's not just about what uh, characterizes an individual, but could even be information about how that user might be using a system, for example. And so we get into these situations where um, from a compliance standpoint, we need to make sure that that governance model is there. Um, and and training developers as they're going through this life cycle of of producing um, these builds, how are we going to to manage this effectively? And that's kind of in the the background. And I think it kind of opens up this whole discussion of how much automation may be possible as we consider data governance. And I think we can can kind of go on and on with that. But I'd like to keep the conversation moving forward as well. And, And let's think now about a second use case. So we've got threat modeling and usually threat modeling considers certain assets um, and these assets are, are in, in systems that the business owns. Um, so talk a little bit about data governance and threat modeling. How, how did the two intersect?
1: Yeah, tr- terrific area because threat modeling has a deep and rich history to it, but it wasn't always kind of data centric. And now I think we're kind of modernizing the model in order to be a little more data aware has has presented an interesting challenge for security teams and their partners in in development. And much like we requirement to make developers aware of of the compliance uh, angle of of everything. And and certainly the security angle is is there as well and, and overlaps in many ways. So when it comes to threat modeling, right? Looking at the system and how it can be exploited, right? it isn't necessarily just a point in time, is what is the system responsible for? What kind of data can we expect the system to ingest and be required for inputs? And then what are the outputs that we're gonna see? And and be able to then effectively categorize and tag that data to really understand, A, it's value to us, but again, from a threat modeling, modeling perspective, value to an attacker, to a malicious actor who may be after it. So it's not just about you know traditional threat modeling might look at egress, it might look at lateral movement within a system, and that all matters. But but we have to really kind of take it uh, to the data tier and understand what is what is really uh, potentially um, exploitable from that perspective.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that that really gives us a natural segue now into zero trust, which is. Getting to a level of granularity that goes beyond just a perimeter-based model, but now taking a look at the asset themselves, and you described it in terms of the data, which is the core, which is kind of the atomic level of information that that flows within an enterprise. How do we ensure that the right person has access to that information at the right time from the right device, and so on and so forth? So from a zero-trust perspective, can you talk a little bit about data governance and how data governance Uh, intersects with this whole area of, of zero trust.
1: Yeah, certainly, certainly we'll try. When I think of zero trust, I really try to think of outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. What, where does a zero trust get us? Is it a better security posture? And for what reason? I, I think if, if nothing else, zero trust has kind of shown security professionals that traditional approaches to identity obfuscated and probably abstracted away a lot of the risk, meaning by having, you know, strong authentication, authorization in place, combine that with uh, things like MFA, you could sort of check, uh, get a big green check mark for having done so. But in doing that, you've kind of accepted that you're not, when those uh, identities are then compromised, right? Mm -hmm. You're, You're now not necessarily looking for what could be the true extent of a compromise. So as you mentioned, that context matters so much. And I think Zero Trust brings in the context as far as understanding much more about the user space and much more about the interactions between services, between users and and systems, such that we can now get to um, essentially behavioral profiles and understand how is data being interacted with? How would we expect it to be interacted with? What does good look like for us? And then from there, you can start to establish a bit of a baseline that when that baseline threshold starts to get violated, well, now you can have the right kind of alerting in place, the right kind of response in place in order to mitigate what could be, again, a potential compromise.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's interesting. And that all lends us towards a policy-driven security model uh, where identity is essentially its own asset. And and you've got this identity that is uh, decoupled from the network and allows us now to go in there and take that identity and propagate it into various pieces of data. For example, to determine how who's got access to be able to to go in and, and read and write and, and do those kinds of things with discrete pieces of data at that point. Um, as we as we look forward, um, it's it's impossible to think about five years. Let's let's bring it in a little bit. Maybe twelve to eighteen months in in that sort of time frame. We talked about things like data governance. We talked about security and some of the emerging technologies and, and frameworks that are out there. Uh, Nick, what are your thoughts on where you see data governance headed in say the next year to year and a half?
1: Yeah, it's fascinating to think about this because uh, it, it's, it's getting a lot of attention right now and, and people are eager to see where this is going. I think on one hand, you're gonna see the rise of highly ephemeral environments in which to kind of manage and process data based on need, based on temporary access and, and, again, really bringing in the right context as far as the cap- what you can execute and do with the data in what is an ephemeral ephemeral environment available for only so long as you might need it. And I think you're going to start to see, uh, secondly, a huge emphasis on data lineage. Where is data coming from and be able to trace it back to sources? and. Make sure that rather than propagate copies of data throughout the enterprise, you, you create a way that source systems, authoritative systems are not getting pummeled for, for requests and, and by, by everyone who might need the data that's being produced. But you have the mediation in place that you can get to what is a much more centrally controlled, centrally managed, centrally governed uh, data store, whether that's more of a mesh whether that's building on top of existing kind of data lake data warehouse solutions, you're going to have uh, whole teams responsible for granting access to data because you might've heard the stat. I'm sure the stat changes every time it's quoted, but data scientists can spend half of their time just trying to get a hold of data before they even run any experiments or any analysis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that has to change. That that's an investment that companies, if they can't get that number down are just going to be left way too far behind.
0: Mm, interesting perspective Nick thank you very much for your time really appreciate you coming and talking to us today and we'd love to have you back in the future
1: uh, I'd, I'd love that too Altaz thank you very much want to learn about what Security Compass has to offer check out securitycompass.com demo for a free demo today want more of the balancing act be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts for more episodes